Welcome to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan, and I'm joined by, uh, I'm going to call him my friend, David Estrada. Uh, welcome to the show, and we have you on today to celebrate St. Hattrick's Day, which is what we have dubbed your hat trick uh, from March 17, 2012, which seems like a lifetime ago in so many ways but uh david welcome to the show and uh and how are you doing pretty good man thanks for having me uh i appreciate you guys remembering that hat trick and always wanted to talk about it and yeah i'm happy to be on this show man appreciate you and i do consider you a friend as i okay, go everyone in seattle my family <laughs> I miss you all <laughs> So uh, without before getting into it, I wanted to share. So David and I had a, an interesting little uh, melding of worlds where I was working at the Monterey County Herald uh, the year you were blowing up out. You were blowing up Monterey Bay League uh, defenses, scoring, I think, 66 goals for Alisal High School in Salinas. Uh, so it was kind of so I had this personal investment in you doing well. And so at the I remember at the time I was very kind of like bummed out that you turned down a scholarship at San Jose State to go walk on at UCLA. What is that all about? Hey man, I was following my heart and I, I love a good challenge and thankfully uh, until this day is one of the best decisions of my life. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately I think uh, for me that worked out. I, was a San, I went to San Jose State but I was very happy to see that you did well at UCLA and then I moved to Seattle, and then sure enough, you get drafted by the Seattle Sounders in the first round, number 11 overall. Uh, it was, I think, at the time, a lot of the draft experts were kind of not so sure about it. Uh, you had this great rookie seat or first uh, great freshman year at UCLA, but you didn't you hadn't like followed that same trajectory of, you know, turning into like an All-American or something along those lines. But you, but Siggy Schmidt believed in you. He he was pretty familiar with you. What was that like when you heard uh, your name being called as a first-round draft pick in the MLS Superdraft? Uh, I really couldn't believe it um, until they said my name. Yeah, I never expected it. I had uh, other teammates, Michael Stevens, Kyle Nakazawa, I think Brian Perk, all youth national team players. Um, and, you know, hearing UCLA midfielder, I – automatically thought either Michael Stevens or Kanakazawa, like hundred percent, like I would have put money on it. I would have like anything. And so, yeah, to, to hear that, uh, hearing that Seattle have picked me and uh, Siggy being familiar with me, I think obviously helped. And I think he saw something in me that he might've, you know, uh, identified with. And, and I think that's the type of player that sometimes uh, Siggy appreciated. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that he, he believed in me and um, hopefully, you know, I, I was a player that brought everything that he expected um, on the field and off the field. And that, that was always my, my goal to, to be more than just, you know, a good player on the field. I wanted to be a good person off the field as well. And so, you know, I'm glad that he believed in me in that way. So in 2010, I'm trying to remember, was the 2010 Super Draft, was that televised? Was that on TV? Or was that like just like how, what was your, like, how did you find out? I, I don't know if you were invited to the draft. Like, what was that whole experience like for you? Um, if I got invited, I never got the invite. <laughs> um, but uh, 
I just remember uh, we had the MLS draft on a weekend, and that same weekend I was flying back home. Um, I forget where it was, maybe Philadelphia or something. And uh, I was home by myself. Uh, the first, I think, the first round was te- televised on ESPN2, maybe, or ESPN Classic. Sounds like right, probably. Yeah, and so I was on my knees, not praying or anything, just like I had a laptop on my bed by myself <laughs> in my room, um, just like watching the extended coverage on my laptop because I figured I was going to go in the third or fourth round. I felt pretty good about my chances being drafted, that's for sure. Like, uh-huh. I knew like I, I showed well wherever I went. But I did not expect that my name was going to be called out on TV and for everyone. <laughs> and, you know, in Salinas, like, yeah, uh, you, you, your name has popped out on ESPN. And that's like the highlight of the town. And so sure enough, uh, as soon as my name was announced, my phone blew up and I'm getting text messages and calls <laughs> from everybody. And uh, I was by myself at home uh, on my knees, not praying. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, thankfully, you know, it's cool to to live that moment, and uh, I shared it. Uh, I just remember running to my backyard and just screaming, like, I I was so happy. I I had worked so hard for that, and, um, yeah, I mean, I I still remember it as, like, one of the most beautiful days of my life, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, people, like, I don't know, people probably that are listening to this probably don't know a lot about Salinas, but Salinas is, you know, a certainly not a big town, but it's like, maybe it's a big town. I I think that's a good way of putting it. It's like, but it's a town. It's not like a city. It's got, Mm -hmm. you know, at the the time it probably had four or five high schools, you know, maybe, maybe a hundred thousand people, something like that. Um, But it's the kind of place where there are not like professional athletes are not regularly coming out of, of uh, Salinas. And if I remember correctly, Xavier Nady must've been, like, right, he went to Salinas High, and he must have been right around the same, like, a few years older than you. But he was someone who, if, if you are a baseball fan, you may remember this name. But he was a, he was a, he was like a high-level prospect in the Padres system. But that was, like, the peak of what would be considered a big-time person coming from Salinas. And you were probably, like, number two at that point. Mm-hmm. I just remember one player. Uh, his name was Ramiro Corrales. Oh, yeah, Ramiro Cross, who played for San Jose Earthquake for a long time. Yeah, yeah, so he was the only other player that made it out. And for me, I always knew that there was one player that made it. And um, he actually played against my dad in Sunday leagues. And so I was like, well, I mean, the guy was playing Sunday league, and he was able to make it. And that's back then where they didn't have – he was a part of the original um, MLS, like the first draft. Yeah, like 96. Yeah, yeah. And so he I wanted to really the last, long... He was like the last 96 player to retire, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. And so he had a long career. And for me, that was hearing his name always kind of made it, um, made it possible, you know. And mm-hmm. um, obviously, like you said, Salinas is not a place where a lot of uh, professional athletes come uh, get that recognition. And we're, I feel like we're a little bit isolated. We're surrounded by agriculture. And so to get out of there you always have to travel to play in these tournaments. And I always believe that there's a lot of talent in the town, especially in the youth ages, but sometimes the exposure to be able to kind of, uh, you know, play in these tournaments is, it's hard for us because our parents work long hours and sometimes uh, it's hard to afford those tournaments. And so uh, 
yeah, I mean, but for me, Ramiro Corrales was always an example. And um, hopefully kids hear my name and they, they maybe think that they can make it too. And so I always kind of see that as, as you know, a, a responsibility that I have to the youth in Salinas as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I don't know if you can tell us a little bit more about Selena. I mean, what was your, what was your soccer infrastructure like? I mean, you played high school soccer. I don't know if you played anywhere. I mean, you probably played like adult leagues, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. uh, growing up. Um, but there wasn't like, if I'm, if I'm like thinking back on it, you probably would have had to go to like Monterey or even like Santa Cruz to get into like a, like something that would be even comparable to club and those would not necessarily be what we would put on they're not like playing da or something like what we would think now yeah no i mean i grew up playing sunday uh city league soccer my whole life it wasn't and i gotta say they those coaches were some of the most impactful coaches i've ever had in my life they would pick me up from my house because my parents were working uh, drive me to training and then after training drive me back to, to, to the house and uh, they did that for every kid it wasn't like because I was really good they did that just for me they did that for like half the team that the parents couldn't drive their kids to, to training and so for me I always think how impactful those coaches are at the grassroots level that we sometimes think like you know well it wasn't until I played club that that's where I started like getting better now I think those training sessions were some of the most impactful in terms of development as a player because um, I was able to practice so much. And, like, it was Monday through Friday. It wasn't just, like, two days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is I didn't get to play club until it was maybe 14. Yeah. And, like you said, I had to drive to Watsonville because it was a collection of, like, four or five players from Salinas a collection of like 10 or so players from Watsonville and then five kids or so would drive from Santa Cruz and we would be like this group of like 20 kids representing Santa Cruz. Right. The Santa Cruz breakers at the, at the time, but we were all mostly from Salinas and Watsonville. And we were able to do this because we had one player who was driving at the time and he was on his permit right like this kid should not be driving but it was funny because they would give him 20 dollars for gas every time we went up there but on the way home we would always stop at burger king and like (laughs) those those are like some of the best moments man those are some of the best memories of like growing up during that time and you know having to drive 20 30 minutes for for a training session to have a pretty good level uh training session and for me, I was playing with that team at the same time as I was starting to play with adults at age 14. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a family team. We call, we're called Deportivo Armando Mora, which is my grandfather's name. And that's where I kind of learned a little bit of the, the hard knocks of playing with, with adults and, um, you know, protecting myself and, you know, some of the things that, you know, kind of make you mature a little bit faster as a young player and so I had that going on and you know for me I feel like I was made in the city league system but obviously those two um, playing for the adult leagues and playing at the same time for the Santa Cruz breakers kind of helped me take my level to the next take my game to the next level because I was I was playing and training a lot during that time 
Yeah, and that's a, an experience that I'm guessing, you know, we hear stories of like Clint Dempsey played in similar kind of uh, upbringing where he was playing with adults at a relatively young age. But that's not something that I think players today are exposed to almost at all where they, um, you know, and they have these high level trainings and they have DA and they're completing against, you know, other high level players and they're like flying to games and doing things that are almost like young pros. And I'm sure there's a lot of benefits to that, but there has to be something that's lost when, you know, they're not getting, taking elbows from uh, 40 year olds who are trying to teach their uh, nephew a lesson. Yeah, man. And I think it's, for me, it's okay that they don't have to go through that as much, but yeah, it does kind of lose a little bit of that, you know, that, that environment of, you know, like there's people, there's people on the sidelines and they're maybe saying some inappropriate thing and you hear them, right? Like there's like 10 people on the sidelines and they're really saying your name and saying how terrible of a player you are and you hear it. But I mean, dude, two years ago, Danny Leva was at 16, 15 years old, made his start for San Antonio. So I think we're progressing in that sense where we're putting them in, in these type of environments in a more professional setting. And uh, I think, um, in my opinion, we are progressing a little bit. But, yeah, I think those those tests are sometimes that you don't want to, like, necessarily put these kids in, in those situations. But I do think it helps you mature and helps you kind of become a little bit it builds your character a little bit sure. more sure yeah it's i'm i'm i yeah i i think that's probably maybe not the best environment for kids to be coming up in but you know it makes for some good stories and and you have absolutely man. you have definitely some of those uh so you know, I'll definitely i'll tell you this man i was like i remember being humbled uh in one of those games because i thought i was like the <laughs> biggest thing and i was so cocky man and you know, after that, I was like, all right, I'm never going to, like, I, I would dribble guys, wait for them, dribble them again, and wait for them. And then one time, <laughs> this guy just, like, uh, this guy, like, was, like, are you freaking serious? And, like, we stopped the game, and he wanted to fight me. I just ended up running out of the, like, the field. And I remember jumping over the fence for whatever reason. I think I was running away from him. So, like, you know, I was humbled, and, you know, the experiences stay with you for the rest of your life. No, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm guessing Danny Leva, at least, well, man, maybe he has. I don't know. He, he, I don't know what his exact upbringing was. You know, he wasn't exactly playing high level forever, but I was just thinking, like, I don't I can't imagine Danny Leva at 16 having to run away from. And I think he's one of the most humble kids I've ever I met. Know. So I'm I know. I'm sure he's never, like, I, from, <laughs> he from early upbringing, I think he's been. He's been, he's a humble kid, so he doesn't, I don't think he has to worry about those experiences. Sure. No, that's a, that's a fair point. So, you come into 2010, um, I'm guessing it didn't quite go as you planned. 2011 probably didn't go quite as you planned either. But 2012, uh, you end up as the starting forward uh, alongside Freddie Montero. And this is going into your third year. Uh, you're starting the cha CONCACAF Champions League against Santos Laguna, who I'm guessing is not just some team for you, but probably – kind of like a big deal uh you i'm guessing grew up with liga emekis on the tv in your house a lot you probably uh if you if your parents were talking soccer with you they were probably giving you a hard time about uh the teams in mexico probably more than uh mls but yeah. um i mean so this is what's your mindset kind of coming into that game all of a sudden you're starting this is just your third career start at that point you're in year three of your professional career um 
What's, what's that like going into 2012 and what's your mindset going into that first Santos Laguna game? Uh, my mindset was I knew I was capable of competing at that level. Um, it took me some time to, to adapt to, to the speed and to the mental side of, of playing at that level. And I already knew in my mind that 2012 was going to be a good year for me. Um, I remember, I think Eddie Johnson had just been signed to the team. Yeah, he'd just been signed like a week or two earlier. We got him on a trade from Facito and Lamar Nagel. And so even through that preseason, like I was establishing myself little by little um, to be like a candidate to start. And I knew that based on how I finished uh, 2011, that 2012 was going to be a, a year where I would be playing more. Um, and I worked my, my tail off to, to make that point in preseason. And so when that came, when that guy, game came around, I was, I was prepared and, you know, I wasn't even really faced by Santos Laguna. You know, I think I would have been faced if we were playing like Chivas or America. We'll have to say anything that, you know, Santos wasn't like, it's not a big Mexican club because they are. And these last, uh, over past like decade, they've established themselves as one of the, you know, top four or five for sure but at that but time they being, were still kind of I, establishing themselves i guess they weren't necessarily yeah, yeah. uh they hadn't become what they kind of are now mm -hmm. and so um you know i wasn't really phased by that I, I like i said if it was Cruz Azul, america or chivas i think i would have been like whoa like this is pretty <laughs> pretty awesome <laughs> but uh one of the highlights for me was like uh, benjamin galindo who was the coach at the time play for Cruz Azul, you know, and he came up to me after the game and said, you had a really good game. And, uh, you know, for me, that, I was like, holy smokes. Like, I watched this guy, like, hit some of the most unreal, like, free kicks with his right foot and his left foot. They called him El Maestro Galindo. And, you know, for him to come up to me after the game was definitely, like, something that, like, when you say, like, it was, it was like, I was, I was starstruck a little bit. Like, that, that's, and it's because he played for Cruz Azul, you know, like, right. as a kid, I watched him play. And so you were a Cruz Azul fan. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. for me, obviously, yeah, this is a team that um, would play again. That's how I would look at it. Cruz Azul in America and she must play against this team, you know? And so, sure. um, yeah. And eventually I found out that I scored against Osvaldo Sanchez too, which was pretty cool. Like I didn't really realize it at the time, but <laughs> um, you know, like I said, for me, I just, I envisioned that goal before it happened. Um, I really like envisioned that whole back post off a header goal happened before it happened. And so it's kind of cool to, and I, I thought about that in the off season. I didn't think about it like, you know, a week or two before that. It was something that I thought about. And, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that um, I was given that opportunity because I work, I think I worked for it, but obviously sometimes you need a little bit more time to, to adapt to when you go up a, a level in play. And so I'm thankful that the Sounders gave me that opportunity. And like I said, Siggy Schmidt believed in me from the beginning. Yeah. And so you, the, the next game doesn't quite go as planned. Uh, Santos Laguna beats you guys 6-1, if I remember correctly. Uh, but Eddie Johnson gets hurt in that game. Uh, coming off the bench, uh, only plays 10 minutes. And so here you find yourself starting again in the MLS regular season opener. Um, I don't know if that was the plan all along, but in, it was certainly convenient uh, for, for, the, for these purposes. 
you start the season opener against uh, against Toronto FC. There's 40,000 people. The game's on nation, nationally televised. Arlo White on the call. Uh, it is a big, big game. I want to say it might even be the MLS season. It may have been the first game of the MLS season. I don't remember if that was true, but it was for certainly the, the – they were. it was like soccer in America. NBC was making this big deal out of it. If you watch the highlights, you kind of get a sense of this being more than just like another game on the schedule. Um, at that point, are you in your, like, what's your mindset in terms of like setting the stage for your season at that point? Like you, you've already, you've scored against Santos Laguna. You're starting the MLS regular season opener. It's your now third MLS career start. Um, yeah. Put us in your mind there. I think um, during that whole time, I was just so confident. Like, I'd had a really good preseason, and I I scored a lot of goals in preseason against, like, obviously sometimes you're playing these college teams. Sometimes you're playing these youth uh, national teams. But for me, I was scoring, like, quite a bit. And so I was was ready, and sometimes I, I like to think back, like, well, you know, I scored against Santos Laguna. You know, that that for me, that kind of like chip scoring that first professional goal was kind of off my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And so I just went out there and, you know, I, I was prepared for, for that moment. And, um, you know, I, it, it kind of just went by like that. But, um, you know, it, I, I still remember sharing that, the, that experience with my teammates, with the whole stadium there. And uh, to be able to, I know... It brought so much joy to to so many people in Salinas, to my family, to my parents, and and to be able to kind of retell and recall that that story is is something that's so beautiful. But in terms of like it being such a big game, it was just for me, it was just another game to to prove to to the uh, coaches that I deserve to start and that I deserve to be there. And uh, I think I made them believe that that game for sure. Yeah. So you know you. You start the game off the the Sounders. It's it was you know it's funny in 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 my mind I remembered you guys kind of blowing out Toronto, but in watching it again, it wasn't really a blowout. It was kind of a it was a game that was closer than maybe the final scoreline suggests. Uh, but you guys scored first. I want to say it was you know relatively it was twenty fourth minute something like that. Uh, but I want to say at that point Toronto may have even hit the post already. Um, but the play that you score on is this kind of wonderful chaotic play but there's a moment in it where Flaco Fernandez uh Cruyff turns like I want to say double Cruyff turned Ty Harden so bad that he literally ends up on the ground and I don't I don't know if I appreciated it at the time but Ty Harden was a UW product he was so people probably in the stands kind of knew who he was but uh anyway he he puts him on his butt he puts in a cross to you. you. You're able to somehow control this. There's this whole mess of people, and you end up slotting it between, like, five defenders. Um, I don't know. Just kind of walk us through that, that play. Yeah, I just remember picking up the play, I think, in the half, halfway field, and I played it into space to him. And I just, like, I said, I'm going to put myself in front of goal and just hope the ball gets there. I'm maybe doing the – sacrificial run right the one that kind of draws in defenders to the near post and maybe he'll find them in the back post mm-hmm. and I sometimes as a younger player you have to make the runs that are opening space for other players you know the, the more established players that you know maybe can't run as much 
Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was trying to get myself in the near post run and somehow the ball got through. Um, I think I ended up controlling with my left to kind of like fake that I was going to shoot. Like I think my defender and the goalkeeper kind of dove and then I just toe poked it, hoping it would go in. And I think it went between some, one of the player's legs. And yeah. I remember, I remember hearing Freddie like screaming for the ball. Uh, <laughs> I think he would have been so mad if, if that ball didn't go in the back of the net. But um, yeah, luckily it went in and uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, Flacco was like the mat, the the maestro that day. He was like serving up some beautiful balls, and obviously that play uh, broke the guy's ankles. And uh, <laughs> you know he he was always so smooth on the ball, and that's that's a a moment of brilliance where where Flacco shows why he was a DP, right? Like yeah, that was World Cup. that was. What's funny is like that may have been low. Like I don't know if we necessarily remember it this way but low-key that might have been Flacco's best game I mean he was he was unstoppable that game he I don't know if he I don't know if he actually got an assist on that first goal but he ended up getting assists on the on your two other goals but he probably could have had like five assists that day I mean it was like he was just dropping dimes to people it was a kind of an amazing performance um and he hadn't really shown that aspect of his game the year before he had scored a bunch of goals but he hadn't necessarily uh assisted a bunch and then all of a sudden he's just like playmaking like crazy in that game mm-hmm. um but then we get into the second half it's it's still 1-0 and uh it's relatively early in the second half Flacco I, finds you again and but he this time you get in behind the the defense you second time at least that you've gotten in behind like that you get the ball you kind of hold up you you like you you, you set yourself and you and a defender almost catches you from behind but you you you, you score it anyway um, it, it starts to feel like it's starting to look like, okay, David Estrada is the game is slowing down for him. He's calm on the ball. He's, he is, he knows his, where the defenders are. He's got this, he's starting to figure this all out. Yeah, man. And I think you're, when you're in the zone, it's kind of does slow down and you kind of, you're able to see the field for what it is, is, you know, it's a big space. And you're just trying to find those spaces to be able to shoot. And uh, obviously, they had a high line in that in that second goal. And um, sometimes you're going to make five of those runs, and um, you might get the ball once, and you might be called offsides in that one time. But you know, I think that was a perfectly timed run, a perfectly played ball into space. And uh, yeah, man, like I said, I, I was able to to identify where the space was at and um i think it was a combination between flacco and mark birch that played that ball over the top and um that was it was was awesome man be one v one i thought it was offsides but uh on the the broadcast they make it sound like you were easily onside i don't know i don't know if i agreed with that but you were onside (laughs) it was right it was right on the line i think but um yeah the game slows down man when you're in that kind of especially as a forward, when you score a goal, I feel like it's one of the best feelings in the world. And, you know, I think you just kind of enjoy the game well after that. And so every time I score a goal, I feel like I'm, I become like a different player. I don't know why. <laughs> well, you know, it was, it was in the, and that goal also is scored right in front of ECS. And you, one of the other, like you, you are not a player who necessarily projects a lot of like outward confidence 
that's not as a negative thing. It's just like, you're not, you're not a player who's like doing that. Look at me kind of celebration stuff. And it was just, mm-hmm. it was, I felt like we saw a little bit of a different David Estrada after that goal. Cause you kind of like motioned to the crowd and ECS mm-hmm. was right there. And you just seemed to be really kind of feeling the moment, um, which was great to see. Uh, and then on the third, so then Toronto actually comes back. They score a really nice goal. Uh, yeah, I think they score a banger. Yeah, it's like yeah, like a maybe like, a, like a half volley, like a bouncing ball. Yeah, it was. I'd have hit it with like the outside of his right foot or something, like yeah, upper ninety. Was, exactly. Yeah, he he Ryan Johnson uh, hits it off the. He basically bends it from like the far inside the far post off the off the far post like this twenty yard shot from like the top of the uh, the corner of the penalty area, um, and then and so the game was actually pretty close at that point. Uh, Toronto was getting chances. Uh, but then you come back and, and you score your your hat trick goal, uh, and I think this is the one that's kind of the most beautiful goal in terms of like just a great soccer play. Uh, it's again Flaco Fernandez is kind of the one directing the action here, and he works a one two with you, and you hit it first time, and just and that's like kind of the the smoothest goal of the three. It just looked like a play that you could see playing out in your mind over and over again because it was just like so clinical and so perfect and uh and then and then that and it just like i and the thing that this is the one that the kind of iconic shot from it is freddie montero kind of coming up to you from behind giving you this big hug and you're holding up the three fingers and um and i'm wondering what's going through freddie's head because freddie at this point is a pretty big mls star he's never had a hat trick though in mls (laughs) and here you are in your third career uh, MLS start scoring a hat trick. I'm, I'm, I, there's a part of me that just wonders, like, I know you and Freddie were pretty good friends and Freddie had some very nice things to say about you. If I remember after the game and you had some very nice things to say about Freddie, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what's, what's going through your head when, I mean, at that point that just must be like surreal to be scoring a hat trick in that situation. Yeah, man. And I think I had a collection of exceptional like talent around me. And I always think Freddie's, like probably the most talented player that I ever played with. And uh, he gave me the assist for my first professional goal. Right. So for me, I, I'm always going to be incredibly like grateful for Freddie. And I think Freddie's a very demanding player. And I think that's something good. That's something that you want to have on the team, right? Like he, he expects more of the players around you. And so for me, I was thankful that I had him to push me in training, to push me in games. And, uh, yeah, to share that moment with him, to share it with Alvaro, obviously, and, and Mauro, which are kind of like our little Spanish-speaking crew. Um, like it, it was beautiful. And, you know, it's cool that we had Leo Gonzalez, too, who was like a mentor for me. He was like this the, one of the funniest, most like weird uh, guys I've ever met in my life. And, you know, to have those guys and, you know, we were from all over. John Kennedy Hurtado as well. Mm-hmm. Kennedy Hurtado and, you know, to be able to share that with those guys, I think. And they know because they saw me day in, day out, work and training. And, you know, they, I think they were always kind of rooting for me. I tried to help them as much as I could in terms of uh, communication with Siggy when, when they asked me to, to help uh, translate. Obviously, we have Gene who kind of does that. Um, but... From time to time, I was I was their their translator, um, but you know to share that with them. And then you say in the second uh, uh, celebration, I went to, to the fans just because I 
I just wanted to point at them and let them know that 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 was for them. And, you know, I think uh, I'm always indebted to, to how faithful they are and how generous they are off the field. And um, for me to be able to share that with all those people was, was definitely a, a night I'll never forget. Yeah. So um, that was, you know, a funny gene. I just wanted to share a funny gene story. I remember one time I was interviewing Leo Gonzalez and Gene was translating, and this was a couple years after this, and I was like, I was telling Leo, I was like, your English has gotten pretty good, and Gene goes, just looks at me like so mad, like, his, he's like, his English is all, he's been here six years, and he was just so, he was so frustrated, like, because Leo, actually, I thought his, I mean, I don't know, learning a second language is tough, right, and I, his English was definitely better than my Spanish, but Gene mm-hmm. was just very frustrated. Like Gene clearly had been trying to get Leo to do Leo to do more English. Well, yeah, we they have classes provided for them for, for those guys, and there's always an excuse as why they can't make it to the class. You know, yeah. they have a tutor come to the training facility. But <laughs> that's, right. that's what I say, man. It's like after training, you're exhausted, man. You you don't want to use your mind for anything else but to maybe take a nap and rest. But like, yeah, that's when those classes are provided for them and. Yeah, I think Gene's frustration is that in six years, like he should probably be fooling <laughs> for the resources that are available to him. Yeah, yeah, it's probably maybe that's true. But um, yeah, so uh, you know, it, unfortunately, the the rest of the year, like you ended up getting hurt that year. Uh, well, Eddie comes back and he ends up having a pretty good year. Uh, he and and I think you you end up getting hurt as well. You got moved like first you got moved out to the wing. And then, uh, and then you got hurt, and um, although you did score, which I was funny, I went and looked back at it. Your your next goal was against Chivas, and it was another nice goal, um, a goal that you made look really easy. That was not an easy finish. Like it was like this weird volley uh, mm-hmm. thing that you hit with the out. I want to say it was a good ball by Kasky. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good. Yeah, I just watched it yesterday. That's the only reason I remember it. But I don't know when the last time you watched that. But it was a good ball by Kasky. Um, and that you started as the number nine in that game, which was, uh, had been the first time, I want to say the first time since the Houston game, which you scored again in the Houston game on a, on a pretty, like it, it's a ball that deflected off of a defender, but you hit it really well. Yeah. Like, and I remember like Schmetz are always telling me, um, top of the box on corner kicks. He didn't want me to be right on top of the box. Right. He wanted me to take a couple steps kind of like closer to the D. So if, or a little bit outside of the D. So if the ball did pop out, I could run onto it and like hit it. And you didn't. And so, you know, that, that was one of those like coaching uh, little tidbits where you remember. And till this day, you know, I like, all right, so if the ball pops up, this is where I want to be because I want to have a little bit more space to either hit it first time or take a touch and then hit it. Yeah. So, so you, you ended up getting traded from the Sounders in 2014. Um, and I also scored in a CONCACAF game too, I think against, uh, Metapaner, maybe. Oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. I, I had, I had forgotten about that one, but you're right. And against Chicago Fire, I think I should have been ordered a goal too. But that's right. There was a, it was like an own goal situation, right? Yeah, yeah. it was kind of like a shot cross, but I thought I mean, it was you know, going on target. <laughs> I thought that was, that was you know, more was, of a goal than the Houston goal, to be honest. <laughs> I know that was a funny thing. Is I was remembering back, and I was thinking like, God, I could have swore he had a goal that should have counted as his goal and it was ended up as an own goal. And then I watched the Houston game and I was like, Oh, maybe that was the game. Maybe that was the goal I was thinking of. And he got it. But yeah, you're right. It was Chicago that you had another one that was like banked off. 
so you in any chance you were like creating chances in that that season um mm-hmm. and, and then you got hurt and kind of didn't come together after that but you 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 stuck with it you stayed in, you you were you played another year in MLS and then you bounced around something that a lot of players I don't think end up doing is like they move around USL um and you've been you know and and your your career ended up with you back in Seattle uh in 2018 you wear the number 74 shirt which at the time was un- a thing that no one had ever done as far as I know in this Sounders organization, at least not in the, with the meaning that you had it. Um, and you, I don't know, you, you came to the team, if I remember correctly, with the idea that you were going to be kind of a player coach and you were going to help with the Academy and, um, and you end up being the leading scorer that year. You scored 11 goals that year for, for S2. Uh, they hadn't been, been 12. Should have been 12. Might have been twelve. Might have been twelve. Okay. Yeah. But it was. I mean, you had a you had a really good year. It was like your probably your best professional season, right? Like from yeah. a goal scoring. I think. Standpoint. I think it was just the mental approach to how like, you know, th- there were games where John Hutchinson, who's like the head coach at the time, from the get go, he was like, you know, you could come and train with us, but you're not what we're looking for to sign. So you're more than welcome to come here. And um, Mark Nichols, when I met him, I thought maybe there is a way to kind of find a role where I can continue to play and be a mentor to these kids. And so for me, adopting like a mentor role was, I think, what helped me so much. And, you know, being an example to those kids that, you know, despite my age, um, I think I was probably 30 years old, right? Yeah, I was probably I was probably one of the fittest guys, if not the fittest guy on the team. Um, so there's no excuse that if you know you guys are 18, you guys can't run as much as this 30 year old. You know, and um, showing them that going to the gym at least three, four times a week is part of the you know the, the regimen if you want to perform at a high level. And I think all those goals were. Uh, you know, an example of like the hard work and, and kind of just that mental approach to the game that it wasn't just about, I didn't want to score that many goals, but I did want to prove to them that, you know, at my age, I can cover as much ground as any other player on that roster. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you run in this game, I think, especially as an attacking player, when you're willing to make all those sacrificial runs, like there's bound to be moments where the ball bounces right in front of you and all you got to do is tap it in. And I will say one of the best highlights of my career was the game against OKC where uh, I ended up scoring two goals to, and ended up, I think it was like in close to like the 90th minute. And to share that moment with those kids running to the sideline and giving a hug to John Hutchinson was like very, very special to me just because um, I had very, a lot of extensive conversations with him and, you know, as a, as a two coach, sometimes it's frustrating because, you know, you're so young and sometimes you want players that are a little bit more mature and can understand uh, moments in games where you have to slow the game down and all those things. But for me to be able to share that with him and the, the kids, I call them kids because they were. I mean, they, they were. Still, you read like. They are still kids. Yeah, they're still kids. Like, most, I mean, you like 
<clears throat> Danny Leva made his debut that year for the, for us too. Uh, Alfonso mm-hmm. Campo Chavez. I mean, a lot of the guys that are now like kind of the top prospects coming up through the Sounders system were all like 15, 16, 17 years old that year. Yeah. And I think based also, I will attribute that um, the system of play that they have is catered to a player that's willing to make those runs inside the box. It's hard work to find good uh, spaces in the box to finish. And for me, I w- I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I became a, a smarter player coaching the kids and applying those same concepts as a player. And I think that's another reason why I scored so many goals. And that's, that's just like a, a reflection of the, the, the way they're trying to teach the kids this, the, the game. And I think Mark Nichols, as I know he moved on to, to Charlotte, but he was at the top of that, um, creating that curriculum. And, you know, luckily I was always kind of soaking all that information in. I had meetings where we would go through uh, methodologies of how uh, different uh, national teams were, were running their youth systems. And so for me, that was incredible to, to soak all that in. And, you know, now I, I definitely see the game a lot different than um, prior to, to getting there my second time around. Yeah, I mean, it seems that it served you well. You ended up going to New Mexico United, where you've ended up being in kind of one of the great stories. Again, it's, it's funny. You've, you've managed to find yourself in some pretty impressive soccer markets. Seattle, obviously. But then you were at Sacramento for a while when they were first kind of like making the name for themselves at the USL level. And then you go to New Mexico United, where they're breaking all these, these uh, records for attendance. Um, what... You know, what is the, can you tell us a little bit about what the atmosphere is like, what they're building in New Mexico, uh, at New Mexico United? I think here we're, we're trying to create positive outcomes and that's one of the, uh, ethos in, in the, the organization and, you know, nowhere does it mention soccer, right? And, uh, New Mexico is a state that, um, needed something like this from the get-go, when I first moved here, I met some people that were very proud of, you know, being from here. And it's something that I really haven't come across many other places that I've lived in. And so to be able to see how proud people were of, like, their city, of their state, kind of makes you realize that, you know, you're playing for something so much bigger than yourself. And um, having Peter Travisani as a president of the team, he has this, like, long-term uh, view a vision of creating something for future generations you know he's not just wanting to create a soccer team no he wants to create like this organization where you know the young talent that grow up in Albuquerque want to stay here because it's so exciting because we are you know having a positive impact in the community and so for him to be able to do that in the first year and to be a part of it myself and I know the the rest of the group that were part of that team was super special just because he had a vision and I think that vision kind of matched his energy. And so we're lucky to be a part of like something so, so beautiful because you see people smiling and um, every, every game uh, the, the stadium is packed with people chanting the whole time. Um, the other thing that's cool is that we have stickers and, and bumper stickers on cars all throughout the city and you see them everywhere and, you kind of just 
see how people are, are, are really proud of the team. And, you know, I always say that we are trying to match. Like, it's not that we gave them something to be proud of, is that we're trying to match how proud they are of their state by everything we do on and off the field. And so, like you said, yeah, I, I think I'm very fortunate to, to be a part of, you know, the Seattle um, legacy from, from the year, uh, from the second year. And to be here from the first year here at Mexico is obviously something that's, that's super, super, super special for me as well. Well, I'm sure having players like you uh, helps that immensely at, at New Mexico United. Uh, everyone that I think I've ever talked to, everyone that I know that's encountered you, that's, that has uh, crossed paths with you in the soccer world, has nothing but absolutely the highest praise for you as a, as a person and as a, as a teammate, as a friend. And, um, and it's just been really, it's been really amazing to see your, uh, your trajectory and to watch and to, uh, you know, and I'm really like, I'm glad to, to see that you're, you're doing so well. Um, and that it's not necessarily the path that every player takes, but it's, it's a really compelling, interesting path. And, um, I'd like to think that in a lot of ways, it's a model for, for aspiring soccer players. Yeah, man, I think it's been very difficult and. Like I said, um, it only takes two or three people to believe in you to continue to fight for for what you love, um, your dream. And um, I'm very lucky that Troy Lesnick uh, was the head coach here. And the moment that I found out he um, was going to be the head coach, I reached out to him because I wanted to work with him. And he was like, is definitely creating a culture here that's very different than any other team that I've been a part of where players are really fighting for each other. And so again, John Hutchinson, uh, one coach that, that kind of gave me a chance to train with them and saw something in me to continue to, you know, maybe I want this guy on my team. Precky, another guy who, you know, I think he's, he's a very hard nosed uh, coach, but like, I appreciate that side of, of who he is. And again, Stevie Smith, um, saw maybe this kid, Mexican-American kid, who maybe doesn't, it wasn't fully ready to play step right on. Uh, maybe it was going to take a, a year or two to, to develop. But, you know, I've had these collection of coaches that believed in me. And I think when you give everything that you have, whether it be in training or in games, I think coaches appreciate that. And so everywhere I go, man, I, I try to do that on and off the field. And I've been very lucky to have a collection of coaches who kind of see that. Uh, and I think the people appreciate that because, you know, I think if you love something, you're always going to fight for it. And till this day, I'll continue to do it. And uh, 11 years, man. And I think I used to read the, uh, the comments from like the MLS, like draft, uh, uh, mock drafts or whatever. And, right. uh, they said this guy will probably go to a preseason and maybe play for a year or two. And for me, I was like, all right, we'll see. <laughs> I love, I love to prove people wrong too. Well, you've and, done that a lot. I think, you know, like 11 years doing what I love. I, I will say I would go through it all over again. And, and for me, that's to say, to be able to say that is a life worth living. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky that I continue to do what I love and thank you for allowing me to remember that. that, that yeah. 
it was a special moment and it was more special now remembering because it still brings joy to people and I'm lucky that I can, can share those those conversations with you guys. Well, thanks for for taking the time, David. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure uh, having you on. Uh, we uh, you and I have been able to do this a few times, uh, but this was felt like the the first time we really got to get into depth on some of this stuff. So I really appreciate you uh, sharing all this and sharing your insight. And uh, absolutely, the best of luck and and stay safe in in Albuquerque, man. You too, man. And anything you ever need, I know I owe you a jersey for. <laughs> we just came out with a new jersey, so I was holding off. Uh, you don't want last year's jersey; you want this year's. And uh, well, next year, I appreciate cool. everything you do for the team. I know you give honest coverage and you give insight uh, to the locker room that a lot of fans appreciate. And uh, uh, thank you for covering me and and Monterey. Yeah. Well, I was. I, I didn't get to do a ton of it, but I. I. I watch. I, I was. I watched with. Uh, with interest. I. So I. Uh, I'm. I'm happy to have helped facilitate that. Yeah, man. And thank you for like. I think in this time, it's it's hard to to connect with people, and obviously this means is is what we have to resort to. Yeah. Um, because we're so far away. Yeah. But even. Um, you know, I appreciate you always kind of willing to to sit down with me when I was in Seattle. And, and you know, I remember going to eat with you uh, <laughs> a couple of times. And, yeah, tacos uh, Guillama. We'll do that. We'll do that next time I'm around in, in the Pacific Northwest. And I'm thinking about Seattle. I'm thinking about all you guys and hope you guys stay safe. And um, you, you guys will always be in my heart. And when I say you guys, I mean the whole Sounders family the whole organization and uh, I'm always I'm especially thinking of you guys right now in these times and uh, hopefully you guys all stay safe and uh, we'll connect soon for sure yeah absolutely appreciate that and uh, we'll 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 be in touch um, but yeah this is this is the Sounder podcast I'm Jeremiah Shan we'll uh, hopefully see you soon all right